0: Welcome, Hope Church family. It is so good to have you back. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. We are getting to Matthew chapter 3 this week as we continue the series, Your Kingdom Come. And It's exciting because this week we are going to see the kingdom of God talked about in person. And We are going to see this. To call chapter 3 a massive pivot in the book of Matthew is an understatement. Everything leading up to this point, the first three chapters, explaining Jesus's genealogy, explaining Jesus's birth, the Immaculate Conception, explaining the wise men, why that was such an intricate point. We are going to fast forward in Jesus's life by maybe 30 years, 25 to 30 years, maybe more. And some of the other mentions of what happened in Jesus's life you could find in the book of Luke, but this is a fast forward to chapter three, and we meet one of my favorite characters in the Bible, one of my favorite, favorite people, and that is John the Baptist. And I'm calling this John the Baptist Part 1 because we're going to learn more about John the Baptist when we get to Matthew chapter 11 in five or six years. But just kidding, it won't take that long. But we're going to see the beginning of John the Baptist and why he played such an intricate part. And again, you can learn a lot more about John the Baptist and his birth by going over to the book of Luke early on. But John the Baptist is this just, again, to call him unique is an understatement. To try to grasp this character, to try to grasp this person, and, and to try to understand his dedication to what God has called him to is so difficult to do by just reading these passages. And not only that, but chapter 3 is so rich and it is so deep. And we are introduced to these different people or people types or characters that are going to play a very prominent role in the book of Matthew. So we're going to be in chapter three actually longer than one week. I won't tell you how long because you'll just tune in later. But we're going to be in this chapter for a little bit. So some of the things we're going to First, mention on there are going to be upcoming messages in the next week or two. So, I just wanted to kind of prepare you for that. We're not trying to gloss over anything quickly without talking about it in the next two or three weeks. So, uh, what we're really focusing on here is, is John the Baptist and his message. What is the main point that John the Baptist is trying to get through to the people that are listening to him? What is John's calling? And again, this to continue this topic we've been talking about for three weeks is this point of obedience, obedience to God that we're going to see John the Baptist living out, no matter the cost. So John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. We've seen him mentioned in Isaiah 40, which they will talk about here as we read through the passage. We just uh, read about him when we were going through the book of Malachi. In fact, a lot of these The the message that John preaches is the exact same message in a lot of ways that we studied in Malachi. Uh, In fact, some people thought that John the Baptist was Malachi, and to call him John the Baptist, you could very easily call him John the prophet, for he was a prophet. Jesus says, this is the prophet that you were told about, talking about Isaiah and talking about Malachi. So it's not speculation. It's out of Jesus's mouth. He says, this is who the prophets told you about. So, he's John the Baptist simply because he was known for baptizing people, but he could have very easily been the prophet John, or a couple other titles that we'll get into who also would have explained uh, John so much more clearly or so much better. But I think he's called John the Baptist because, like a lot of nicknames, it was started as almost a mocking way, and I don't know that for sure. That's just my speculation, but what he was doing was so abnormal uh, really, and if you're doing your read Scripture app, and again, I really hope that you are. And it's okay if you're behind, but if you're right up to date, we've been reading a lot about Elijah and Elisha in First and Second Kings, and you'll notice so many similarities between John the Baptist and Elijah and Elisha. So when they say in in Malachi that another Elijah is coming, it is clear, right down to the clothes that he is wearing. So much of what Elijah did, you see in John the Baptist. So he is quite literally, not just figuratively, another Elijah that I'm sending to you, as the people were told through the prophets. So enough of as much intro as I'm trying to pack in. Let's jump right in. We're going to read Matthew, starting in chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And this says, In those days, John the Baptist came I tell you that out of those stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Strong words by John, and that is what John is known for. Uh, Historically, biblically, John isn't afraid to live out what he feels and what he knows God has told him to say. Uh, John would pay for that with his life. Uh, John, and John was okay with it. I think that's one of the subtle things about John that I just love, is he was okay with it. His life was so devoted to God that whatever was done to him, he didn't care. It was for God. He was doing what God had called him to do, and so nothing else really mattered. As weird as that may sound, He was going to do what God told him to do. So I want to look at John's message. I want to look at what John is saying. And again, so much of it is this close tie with Elijah. And if you're reading 1st and Kings, you see Elijah and Elisha. They are not scared to go to the king. They are not scared to go to the rulers of, whether it was Israel or Judah or even neighboring kings. They would go with the words of God. And just like Elijah, we see John. He's wearing this coat of camel hair. And it's not what what you might might see portrayed in different shows or movies uh, where it's just like a tunic. It was probably a very full coat. And the reason it was camel hair is that made it waterproof. It was what people in the wilderness wore because it protected them from whatever uh, huge forms of weather they would find themselves in. It was waterproof. It helped in sandstorms. It helped whatever it meant. It could be used as a shelter. So, Think of a big coat, a very large, big camel fur coat. Not that popular these days, from what I hear in the fashion world, but it's what he wore with a thick leather belt. And again, that also meant it was also had many uses. It was probably used for many things rather than just keeping his coat tied around his waist. And his food that he was eating, um, there's almost a tie-in with a group called uh, the Qumran Society. is where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls. And that isn't necessarily what John was a part of, but they also lived in the wilderness. But what John is really portraying, and we'll talk about it more in a second, is this attitude of a servant. He didn't need the things of the world to survive. He had no tie-in with needing things from what the people in Jerusalem or the other people could give him. He was uh, taking care of himself, or he was allowing God to take care of him with wild honey and locusts, a diet that one was completely clean, and was completely kosher according to the law, but two, he didn't have to rely on anybody to get it to him. They were things that were at his disposal. So he didn't have any kind of a financial tie-in to the world. He didn't have anything extravagant in his life. Most people that dressed like him were viewed as poor people. So again, John, to get this better picture, he just has no tie-ins with what's going on in society. He lives for God and God alone. That is who he is obedient to. So as we look at his message, what is the first thing that he says? We're introduced to him, and what is the first thing that he says? And this is point number one, repent. That word repent, you've probably heard us say before, and John is known for saying this, and we'll see Jesus, who takes basically John's message becomes Jesus's message after this transition. Repent. What that really means is, turn 180 degrees around. Uh, Get rid of anything that can cause you to stumble in following the coming Messiah. That word repent goes hand in hand with what we see in Isaiah when he says prepare the way for the Lord. When he says repent, John the Baptist is communicating to people that you need to get rid of the obstacles Get rid of anything that could possibly hinder you in following the Messiah when he shows up. It's taken from a way that when kings or rulers would travel, and they would travel down, and of course the the highways and roadways were much different then, they would have a team of people that would go out in front of them, making sure that the road was clear, that there were no obstacles, that there was nothing that could cause a delay in where you were traveling to. Clear out brush, clear out stones, make sure there's no thieves or robbers as you travel. So that's what John the Baptist's message is saying, is get rid of the things in your life that don't matter. Get rid of the things in your life that will not last for eternity. Get rid of the things in your life that are going to keep you from following wholeheartedly the Messiah when he shows up. And that's immediately followed by his second part, and that is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The people, like we mentioned back in Matthew chapter one or Matthew chapter two, the people in this time, they were naming their children Jesus at a massive rate. Right. It was a very common name at this time. But names had so much more meaning then. They needed the Messiah, they needed a Savior, and they were naming their children Jesus in, in hopes that the Messiah was coming. And now John the Baptist, who is known as being a prophet, he dresses like a prophet, he lives like a prophet. The words he's saying are the words of God, and he is saying the kingdom of God is at hand. So people now are realizing, oh, there's a major change that is going to happen. But the kingdom that the people are expecting and the kingdom that John is proclaiming, and the kingdom that Jesus would eventually proclaim, and the reason that we have named this whole sermon series, Your Kingdom Come, is a way to show exactly what that kingdom is. Because what the people thought the kingdom should be, and what the kingdom actually was, are very different. What John is saying is that the kingdom of God is a kingdom led by a servant in humility. This is what John is demonstrating so much, his humility. People are coming out to him by the, the people suggest thousands are coming to him to see. And he's out in the wilderness. This was not an easy journey to go see this crazy guy who dresses weird and eats weird food and dunks people in water. But they're going out to him by the thousands because they understand the Messiah is coming. And they want to be part of this kingdom. In their minds, it's a kingdom that would overthrow the Romans but it was really a kingdom that would overthrow sin. It would overthrow living after the things of this world. It's a kingdom that would overthrow death, and it is a kingdom that would last for eternity. So John has thousands of people coming to him, but he demonstrates humility by saying, hey, by the way, when the Messiah comes, first he's clarifying, I'm not the Messiah. I don't deserve the attention. I'm just pointing you to Jesus. But when the Messiah comes, he says, I am not worthy of carrying his sandals. That was the lowliest point. Anything to do with the feet, the washing of feet, the carrying of sandals, that was the lowest rung on the, the leadership pipeline of slaves or servants. That is the last place that you wanted to be. And he is saying, John saying, I am not even worthy to hold his sandals. There is nothing that is so great in me that I am not willing to do anything that is asked from the coming one, from the coming Messiah. So this is a selfless kingdom. This is a kingdom that represents everything that Jesus showed here on earth. And this was the kingdom or the king that was coming. This was the king that was traveling, that there shouldn't be any obstacles in the path of so that we could run out to meet him when he gets here. So repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then third, produce fruit. This is another message that Jesus spends so much time on, producing fruit. Because fruit is the evidence of what we say we believe. Fruit is evidence of what we are living out. Fruit is the evidence of faith. And he's saying the root system is so important to a tree because that is what causes the fruit. So by what fruit you're showing is showing what your root system is in. This is also the first time we get a glimpse of him telling us that the Messiah is coming as the Savior, but he's also coming as the Judge. He is both this full of grace and full of truth person, this Savior that we so desperately need. But he's calling out the Pharisees and Sadducees saying, hey, produce fruit. You say you've done this. You say you've repented. You say that you know God but the fruit that you're producing isn't correct. If what you say you believe is true, the fruit you produce is much different. Again, talk on that much more next week. Fourth part is be baptized. People are coming out, they're confessing their sins to him. He's telling them to repent. They come out, they, they get baptized. Now, the word baptized here is actually the word, I think it's baptizo uh, in Greek. And it can mean baptized, And there are so many different, what does baptism mean? Do you sprinkle? Do you dunk? Do you do this? And there's, the word baptize is used a lot, but it has many different meanings. And a lot of it is meaning is immerse, to immerse or full immersion. And that's what John's doing. That's why he's at the Jordan River, is he's taking people and he is fully immersing them in the Jordan River and pulling them out. So we kind of think of him being known as John the Baptizer. He could have very, very easily been called John the Immerser. They can go hand in hand. This, what The cultural aspect of this is nothing to be ignored. Because when somebody would decide to switch, and I, the first word that comes to mind is always Uriah the Hittite that we read about with David, if you're doing your read scripture app. Because he was more than likely somebody who was a Hittite, who worshipped false gods, who was converted to Judaism. And when you are converted, you are not only renouncing the ways that you were, the Gentile ways, wherever that you are coming from, but you're also saying that I'm going to live differently because now I'm only serving the one true God. And part of being baptized from being a Gentile into being a, into the, uh, being a Jew was they would fully immerse the person as a sign of their cleansing everything off of them from the old life, and they are now entering into the new life. So when John is specifically talking to Jewish people, saying that you need to be baptized, it's actually very offensive to them. They're already born Jews. They don't need to be born into Judaism. That's who they are. And John is making the point that it doesn't matter. And that's why he's telling the Pharisees and Sadducees and the people listening, God can call up sons of Abraham from the stones. That's how powerful he is. Don't rely on who you are who you were born into. Don't rely on those type of things. It doesn't matter. It's about your heart. It's about is your heart full of faith as you've been called to live out. So this was an offensive thing that John's saying, but people understood it. They understood that it had to be about their heart being changed, not about all of the other um, tradition, not about how they were born. None of those things mattered. It was about their heart. So that Baptism is actually drastic change for these people. Again, in about two weeks, we're going to be talking more in depth about what baptism is. The next one, and the last one that John says in his message, is judgment is coming. Now, when we went through Malachi, we talked in Ezra and Nehemiah, we kind of talked about how judgment isn't isn't a big topic people enjoy talking about. Nobody likes to talk about the coming judgment that is coming when Christ returns. And I even mentioned in Malachi that John the Baptist may have had the thought that when Jesus, when the Messiah comes, this is the day of the Lord, when the judgment is brought upon the earth. And so John is making it very clear, especially to those who say they follow God and yet live completely differently, that judgment is at hand. And he portrays the Messiah as both the giver of life, but also the taker. Notice how he says, produce fruit. But how does he say, what does he say about the Messiah? He first says the God is all powerful because he can produce sons of Abraham out of the stones. But then on the other side, he says, but if you're not producing fruit, the ax is at the root. Meaning that the Messiah is coming carrying a judgment ax, if you will. And if there is a tree that isn't producing fruit as it should, he's cutting it down at the root. He is cutting it down at the source of what it feeds off of. That is a warning. What's crazy, next week again, the Pharisees and Sadducees is who he's talking to. The people who thought that they were closest to God is who John is giving this warning specifically to. That the Messiah is coming to judge. Then when you drop down, right after he talks about humility and how I'm not worthy of carrying the sandals, He then says, um, starting in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Meaning he will immerse you if you believe in him. If your faith is in the right place, if you have fully believed in what he is, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But if you are not, a believer, if you have not put your faith in him, if you have not followed him, you will be immersed in fire. That's where we see punishment. That is where the idea of hell comes into play. And he continues, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff, excuse me, with unquenchable fire. How this works is in the threshing floor. And again, the Old Testament, you'll read a lot about this. Everybody that would have been at, in his audience would know what this is. This is how they gathered their wheat. After they would cut the wheat from the fields, they would put it on the threshing floor. There would be a wall, a short wall that would go around it, and they would take a, basically a pitchfork, and they would scoop it, and when they threw it into the air, the good wheat had enough weight that it would just drop down to the ground. When it got above the wall, the natural wind would take the chaff or the things that were worthless and unusable, and it would blow them to the side. And so they would continue to do this over and over and over again until the wind is what separated the wheat from the chaff, separated what was useful for what was not useful. What was useful was gathered up and brought into the barn. And what was not useful, this chaff, was built and thrown into a fire. And that is what he is telling the people here, that this is what judgment will look like. This is what the Messiah, there's full of grace. Again, he has opened up this, open enrollment, if you will, this age of grace for people to turn and follow him, to make Jesus the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their life. But this judgment is coming where he will separate what has been useless, what is of no value, and those that have put their faith in him. The actual wheat will be gathered into the barn. Everything else will be burned with an unquenchable fire. So these are strong words that John is preaching. And many are turning Many are making right. In fact, as you go through the rest of the New Testament, you see through Acts that Paul and different people traveling with him, they meet different disciples of John who didn't know about Jesus yet or who had been baptized with John's baptism but hadn't been baptized in the baptism that the disciples and Paul, the the baptism that they were bringing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, in three weeks, we're going to talk about all these different types of baptism that we see in the New Testament so how does john's message translate to us today because these are very strong words that john is saying and i have great news for you it translates very well to us so i want to look at now how do we take john's message and what does that mean for us point number one identify and remove obstacles identify and remove obstacles identifying what areas of your life are keeping you from serving God wholeheartedly. What are the things that you find interrupt your time with God? What are the things that are interrupting you from serving God? What are the things that are interrupting you from being the spouse or the parent or the roommate or the neighbor or the worker that you need to be to represent God correctly? What are those things and how do you repent from them? How do you change from living one way and now living another in service to the Messiah. The best way is for you to spend time in God's word, and we say this all the time, but it has held true since eternity. Spending time with God. Spending time in fellowship with other believers who can help you, who speak honestly with you in our community groups, in discipleship relationships, that they can help you and help to point out the areas of your life that you can devote to God whole heartedly. Second, and this, the, these really go hand in hand, and that is represent the kingdom of heaven. We are all representing a kingdom. You have to figure out which kingdom you are representing. What actions are representing what kingdom? Because as a follower of Christ, you are representing the kingdom of heaven where you live, work, and play. So we are all working on building a kingdom. So which kingdom are you building? There's only one kingdom that will last for eternity. All the other kingdoms that we try to build, the, the kingdom of our of our occupation, the kingdom of where we find our identity apart from Jesus Christ, the kingdom of money, the kingdom of fun, the kingdom of relaxing, all of those other kingdoms do not last for eternity. So which kingdom are you representing? We are to represent the kingdom of heaven, or we are to represent the kingdom of God. So when we say your kingdom come, we are saying, prepare me to be used in your kingdom today. Prepare me to be used in your kingdom this week. Prepare me to be used in your kingdom for every day that I draw breath from you. And I can only do this in your grace. This is to be done as a servant in humility. What did Jesus model? We just went over this in Philippians chapter two. Absolute humility and a servant-mindedness as he served those around him. What did John the Baptist model? John the Baptist modeled a servant's attitude, an attitude of absolute obedience, that there was nothing too great that could be asked of him. And if it cost him his life, so be it. It was a servant attitude. That's how we represent the kingdom of heaven is serving those around us. We are representing an upside-down kingdom. It's a phrase you're going to hear a lot, and it's a phrase you may have already heard a lot. We represent an upside-down kingdom, and that means that some areas of our lives need to be turned upside down. Some areas of our lives where we've gotten too comfortable or they become too easy, or there's just areas of our life, whether it's our finances or how we spend our time or what our relationships look like with others, they need to be turned upside down so we can properly serve God in his upside-down kingdom. We need to really evaluate our lives to make sure how we are representing God, where we live, work, and play, so that we can continually be representing how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes lives. Third area, produce fruit. Produce fruit. Again, talk about it more next week. But what is spiritual fruit? We'll go into this in Galatians chapter 5, so if you want to read ahead, go for it. But if you look at Jesus' message, and along with uh, Paul's messages, and with James' messages, they are constantly using fruit as this illustration of how we are to represent God. That a life that we live for Christ produces fruit. It is something that we see represented all the time in the Old Testament. We recently talked about Psalm chapter one, that the tree that spending time with God is like a tree planted by the river that has a continual water source into the roots and it produces fruit in its season. It produces fruit when it is supposed to. So as somebody who has turned their life over to following God, somebody who has a servant mindedness, who is representing the kingdom well, they produce fruit. There are there are tangible things that you can see being produced in their life because of their faith in God. They live differently. More next week. Fourth, be baptized. That is still something that holds true. Now, Hope Church, we have so many different representations here. We are a diverse body of believers in every aspect of the word. We have, every time we get ready to do a baptism, Every time we talk about baptism, it leads to a lot of conversations, and I want to make one thing very clear. I love having those conversations. Absolutely love it. Uh, We already have a couple people that are going to be getting baptized in May, and I am so excited for it because it always leads to different conversations. People are coming from uh, different churches and different backgrounds and maybe no church background whatsoever, and this sounds really weird. And so I love having those conversations, but it is a clear command to be baptized. Simply put, it is a representation of cleanliness and new creation and unification with Christ and with other Christ believers around the world. And so if you want to have that conversation, I don't want you to have to wait until we preach about it in the next week or two. I want to have it right now. Send me an email, shoot me a text, call me. We will get together. We will talk. Whatever we need to do, I want to make sure that we are very clear in our communication of why it is so important to be baptized. So that's what John is saying, and it still holds true for us today. And we'll get into a bigger picture of baptism, what it means in a couple weeks. But the last point that John makes, and what I want to leave you with tonight, is judgment is coming. It's not something we enjoy talking about. It shouldn't in any way be it a motivation for us to go out and live out of fear of what's going to happen, but rather we should serve out of a love for God and realizing what he's done for us. And when you live that way, you don't have to worry and live in fear of the coming judgment, but it should be a motivating factor knowing that the people that we work with, the people that we live with, the people that we interact with, that we are our neighbors, that judgment is coming and us representing Christ well can change their eternity. Us living as a servant, representing God's kingdom, can pull people out of this coming punishment that is coming for them. It is a reality. That should be a motivating factor as as we talk about loving people with the love of God. Part of that love is that we want to make sure that they understand what it is to know Christ, that they can be saved in so many different ways, that they can be saved from punishment for their sin, they can be saved out of death because of Jesus' conquering both. What was said from the prophets and is repeated by John in this passage is still true. There will be a time of judgment where your fruits will be the evidence of what you truly believe and there will be a separation of two groups. When we get to the end of Matthew, we will see this constant talk about separation and who will not be allowed into the eternal kingdom of God. Um, Those baptized or those immersed in the spirit and those whose punishment will be immersion into the fire, the unquenchable fire. Those are real things. Those are things that we are warned about all through scripture and to leave them out. I would not be doing a service to the word of God. It is very real. And again, I don't want to scare you or make you operate out of fear, operate out of obligation, but we should operate in a way that we love God and that we love others. And we want to see them come to the saving knowledge of knowing Christ, of having that relationship with God. If you've never made that decision, I want to make sure that you know, confess your sins to God, ask him, talk to God, have that conversation with him, making him the leader of your life please let us know how we can help you, how we can come along and answer those questions. That is why we do everything that we do, is to make sure that people know what it is to have that relationship with God. You see, the message that John the Baptist preached and the life he lived shouldn't be that much different than ours. We are to live as servants of Jesus in humility and pointing people to the Savior. When we went through the book of John, I love how John describes John the Baptist. The Apostle John represents John the Baptist. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. I love that picture of Jesus. He saw him as the Savior and the Messiah. Yes, there is judgment coming. Yes, he represents so many different things, but he is the perfect, pure Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. How are we representing him? See, it's not just that we have to listen to John's message and change it, but John's message, message should be our message to those who we love, to those who we care about, to those who we interact with. I hope you have a wonderful week. And please let us know how we can be there for you as we try to live this out together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to go to your word, To have a relationship with you, to be able to be equipped, to be able to have your Holy Spirit living inside of us and guiding us and showing us what you would have us to do. Lord, you have gifted us, you have equipped us, you have given us talents, you have designed us specifically how you want us. Lord, help us to be obedient to you in our interactions with the people around us for your glory. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.